Hello, everyone. Good morning. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sense Hour podcast, sponsored by Customized Sports. Before we get into it, a quick word from our group sponsor, DraftKings. You know, we all have hockey's a full swing away, and you know, we all love fantasy. We're all playing it. We all have our fantasy leagues going. Week one is wrapping up. Head on over to Fantasy, pick six players under the salary cap, have your chance to win a million dollars when you use promo code THPN, free chance center to get a million dollars. Super easy, super easy to fill out. Download the app today on Apple or Google or sign up online uh, at DraftKings.com. And today we have a special guest to recap what has been kind of a chaotic first five games of the regular season. We are joined by Silver Sevens writer and host of Internal Budget, Brandon Mackey. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally have him on the show. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? It's not very often that I show up to a podcast and uh, I feel underdressed. That's a new thing for me. <laughs> yeah, just something new we're, uh, we're doing lately. We're just uh, trying to dress to the nines here, even really early in the morning, or what seems like early it. in the morning. After I like it. I like it. So how how have you been feeling with the games? Before we get we jump into the real deep dive of it, what's your kind of just broad uh, description of what you've seen from this team so far? You know, it's tough. Uh, I think DJ Smith is right when he says that they're making young mistakes. But where the juxt- where the weird kind of gray area is happening is it's not the young players making the young mistakes. It's it's been the veteran players making the young mistakes. Derek Stepan took that penalty last night that ended up being very costly. And by his own admission, he can't take that penalty. So I think there's been a lot of encouraging signs from these games. I believe that the Senators for two periods outplayed the Jets last night. I believe on Tuesday they outplayed the Jets aside from maybe the last five minutes of the game. And Thursday you know, that's going to happen. Those games where you just get dominated, they're going to happen. The Senators are still young. They're going against a veteran team that's been in the playoffs. It's had a few runs in the playoffs. They're the only Canadian team that hasn't, right, at the, by this point. So they're going to get there. Those games are going to happen. But you need to finish off the ones like last night where you're carrying the play, where you've been setting the tone, and where you've been leading. Those are the ones that you need to cap off with a win. So for them to do that again and collapse in the third period, it's disappointing for sure. Absolutely. And uh, a little bit of a sidebar just to get away from the Senators for one second, Brandon. I know uh, you're up in Sudbury, Ontario, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm in Toronto, but from Sudbury, yeah. Oh, okay. There we go. So I I just wanted to know, uh, going into the draft, were you kind of pulling for Quentin Byfield in any way just because of your Sudbury ties? Or did that not come into to play whatsoever for you? I mean, it would have been cool uh, to see a, to see a Sudbury Wolf make the, you know, end up on the Ottawa Senators. But I think if, if anything, it allowed me to get a better idea of the player just because I had those connections back home. Um, you know, I didn't really have a preference one way or the other. I was more interested to see what the Senators were going to do and who were they, who they were going to end up with. But what it allowed me to do was kind of use those connections to to write a good story. Like if if you recall, I wrote a our big article about Quentin Byfield. I got to talk to his his billet parents, his GM, uh, 
and you know, and it was and lo- members of local media. So I think that was probably the one thing that would have been advantageous about Byfield coming to Ottawa is I felt like I already had a good sense of the player, whereas I had to do a little more background digging on Stutzla. But I mean, how can you be disappointed with Tim Stutzla the way he's played so far, even in the limited sample size that he's had? He's a hell of a hockey player, and he is just what the doctor ordered for this Ottawa Senators team. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all all Suns fans are excited, and hopefully, we'll see him on Monday when we play Vancouver. But let's dive into Game Two. We'll do Game Two versus the Jets. I think that's kind of where everyone's frustration started to boil over, where the the mistakes kind of cost us the most. Uh, we'll start with goaltending because that's kind of seemed to be the hot topic for the last couple of games. What was your take on Matt Murray so far in the season, especially the last two games versus the Jets? I've been a little bit surprised with how people have kind of been willing to write off Matt Murray already. Uh, this is a guy who, sure, he struggled in the last couple of years. No one's denying that. But at 26 years old, he's got, what is it, 117, 118 wins under his belt now, two Stanley Cups. Goaltenders who are that young with that much success, they don't grow on trees, for one. And for two, they don't get that success without there, there being a reason behind it. Uh, and they don't just magically fall off a cliff. So Matt Murray's still a really good goaltender, and he's shown that. His numbers aren't reflective of that right now. But if you look at those games, especially against the Leafs, uh, he's made some big saves. Same can be said of the Jets games. Has he allowed a few soft goals? Sure. But by my count, and I've rewatched every game twice by this point, so I'm you know on the verge of a mental break. But, I mean, I think Murray has allowed – more goals where he was screened or where they were deflected or where it was this wicked cross cross crease pass that he couldn't get across in time. Uh, Then he's allowed the soft ones that have just kind of squeaked through him. So I've been impressed with Matt Murray so far. Maybe I'm in the minority there, but I think as the senators get better, uh, as they get more defensively sound, you're going to see what a good goaltender Matt Murray really is. Uh, And I've, I've, I really can't be too disappointed with how he's played right now for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just so you know, we kind of we go back and we break down. So we'll go back and we'll break down every game, I guess, that they've played so far. So we're at that uh, unfortunate game uh, that happened on Thursday against the Jets. Um, And then we'll hop into last night's game. But uh, going back to that game, was there any sort of positive sign, uh, Brandon, that that you've seen from the game? Because uh, it really was, like you said, it was just one of those games that are going to happen sometimes. Uh, especially with a, a rebuilding team like the Senators. Was there anything positive that you could take away? Definitely. I, I think the way that the team responded in the third period was was a positive for me. And it doesn't always have to be with scoring a million goals or, or generating a comeback and winning the game. It's just not realistic a lot of the time when you're down you know, for nothing. Uh, but the way that Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson and Erica Branson, they were willing to mix it up at the end of the game, uh, just kind of try to send that message that, hey, you know, what you're seeing is a fluke. This is not a team that's going to go down lightly and we're not going to let you walk all over us. People don't like that aspect of hockey, but it is an important part. It's good for confidence building. Uh, and, and if anything, I think it just shows, again, that you're not going to be walked all over, which is the identity that the Ottawa Senators are trying to forge. They're trying to create create this <clears throat> mantra about being a hardworking team that 
that makes teams work for their wins. And even when they lose, the other team's going to leave pretty sore. So I think Brady Kachuk getting into the mix, especially throwing those bombs he threw at Nathan Beaulieu, he landed some shots if you go back and watch the clip. Uh, I think the way Batherson was even ready to go, I think that fires you up as a team. And it, and it's probably part of the reason why Ottawa came out so hard last night uh, at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, th- those are the responses that you need. So I think that was a positive to take from it for sure, is that Senators teams of the past, we might not have seen that. You know, during the Guy Boucher era, things were kind of falling apart and it did really look like a lot of the players cared out there, to tell you the truth. It looked like they were just content with losing and they just wanted to get to the offseason and get out. So I think seeing that, uh, that this is a team that cares, that's a positive to take. It may not seem like it for a lot of fans, but I really do believe it is. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Brandon, because I think a lot of people right now are going back and comparing some of DJ Smith's moves uh, moves so far to uh, Guy Boucher. But uh, one thing that's very apparent is that the players are very much responding to DJ Smith. Um, and if we go back to the end of the Boucher era, that was not the case whatsoever. Yeah, no, they had totally tuned Guy Boucher out by the end of I get that I get that people are frustrated, but I don't see the comparisons between DJ Smith and Guy Boucher at all, to tell you the truth. I think the way DJ Smith has coached this team is such a polar opposite from Boucher that it's it just doesn't resonate with me. Boucher's team, if you go back and watch those games at the end of his tenure, there was no defensive structure. The team had no identity. It it just looked like an anemic hockey team that was just done, frankly. So and Smith has come in and he's brought in a better defensive structure, better special teams, maybe not wildly better, but better. And he's like you said, Derek, they've responded to him and they've clearly shown that they're willing to listen to him and that they'll, they'll play for him. Um, that wasn't the case at the end of Boucher's tenure. So I get people are frustrated, but I think if you were going to make those comparisons between DJ Smith and Guy Boucher, you should probably go back and watch those games from you know the, the beginning of 2019. Like, because it was ugly. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that the end of the Guy Boucher era ended later than we all hoped. Because you can obviously see a a difference in play when it went to to Crawford after Boucher was fired. But I think fans with the the fact that, you know, Paquette, who's probably been one of the worst players five-on-five for the team and has had some costly mistakes, has stayed in the lineup while you've had guys like Galchenyuk and White who have put in, you know, points and have actually had chances to succeed in and out of the lineup without any kind of consistency. That's kind of where people are looking at the the comparables, you know, comparing Paquette to to Pyatt and Anisimov to, you know, uh Cobra or um, to Domenico or um Dumont mm-hmm. is basically having them out on like uh, having Anisimov out on a 5 on 5 or a 3 on 3 overtime versus Galchenyuk, who had a really good game. I think that's where people are comparing, or that's where the comparables come in, not necessarily where DJ's, you know, how he's coaching. It's just his deployment of his players is being questioned a lot. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that, absolutely. It's early in the season. This is such a new roster. I think there does have to be some leeway given to the coaching staff uh, in the sense that they didn't really get a regular training camp 
They didn't get a proper offseason. They're kind of learning about some of these players on the fly. So if you have veteran guys, like a guy like Cedric Paquette, who won a Stanley Cup last year, and a guy like Braden Coburn, those are probably going to be the guys that you default to in terms of trust. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't understand the deployment of Michael Haley last night. I thought uh, Colin White or an Alex Galchenyuk would have been much more effective in that fourth line role. Haley got in the fight, but again, it, it kind of happened at a weird time where the Senators were buzzing and it was almost as if the fight slowed them down a little bit. It stopped their momentum. Kudos to Haley for stepping up. Of course, I'm never going to talk smack about anyone who drops the gloves and throws bare knuckle punches while on while standing on knife shoes you know what i mean so so good for him on that in that sense but at the end of the day cedric paquette got hurt last night would put the senators down to 10 forwards and if one of those forwards is michael haley that puts you in a tough spot and it, we could see the senators got tired by the end of the game so if you have an alec Kalchenyuk or a philip schlapik or a colin white in that fourth line role then you have actually 11 forwards rather than 10. I think it was Graham Nichols that pointed that out, and it was a really good point. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think the, we can quibble about the, the deployment of players for sure. There's stuff I've agreed with and there's stuff I've disagreed with, but it's a long season. Even at 56 games, we're only through five now. So I think we are going to see all the, of these guys get into the mix. DJ Smith said Artem Zub's going to play in this road trip. He said everyone's going to play in this road trip. So I think we're going to see a healthy mix of everybody. And I'm hoping by the end of the season, or at least by the midway point even, that we'll probably see this young Ottawa Senators team that we've been promised. A lot of these guys probably won't be here by the deadline, and most of them surely won't be here next year. So – I get the frustration for now, uh, but it's coming. And the young player, everybody's going to get their shot. It's just a question of how much leash they're given, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Brandon, I know you're um, someone who who pays particular attention to the analytics stats, and you have a great understanding of that. Um, help me understand how Nikita Zaitsev can go from being so bad for very long stretches last year to – the player that we see now, is he truly redefined and he, is he a different player or is Nikita Zaitsev just showing a really good stretch of games? It's tough to make a determination on whether or not a player has totally evolved after five games, especially after we haven't seen him play in over 10 months. But the reason that Nikita Zaitsev is playing so much better, I really do believe it's just a simplification of his game. He's attributed to deployment. He's just getting more opportunities offensively. But I think even in the defensive zone, Nikita Zaitsev, the glaring errors that he made last year, they're just not there. I don't know what he specifically worked on in the offseason, but one thing I really look for with regards to defensemen in their own end, and it's, some, it's a little nuance of the game that I really love, is watching how they play angles. So when they have a forward and a puck carrier – rushing in on them how do they play the angle to force them to the outside so even if the player does get a scoring chance it's from the perimeter uh, and Nikita Zaitsev has done that really well Josh Brown is another guy that's done that really well this year uh, so I think it's instead of puck chasing Zaitsev is just making the smart play in the second game against Toronto there was one where Mitch Marner rushed on him with the puck and Marner went to chip the puck around him and skate by him and, and retrieve it in the corner. And whereas Zaitsev last year probably would have done a big turn and tried to go chase the puck, instead he just used the angle of his body to hip-check Marner into the boards uh, and stop him from going to get the puck. 
And Connor Brown went and retrieved it for the Senators and generated a turnover, essentially. So I think it's just little plays that are adding up for Zaitsev. The shots he's taking are much better. He's shooting through traffic, but he's not shooting into bodies. Uh, so I think there have been some noticeable improvements in Nikita Zaitsev's game, and the analytics side does reflect that. Whether or not this is the new Nikita Zaitsev, I, I don't know. It's, it's only been five games. I think we're going to need a, lo- a larger sample size to determine that, but I really like what I've seen so far. He's been, for my money, a top, at least a top three defenseman on this team. And looking at the guy that, you know, the number one defenseman on the team, on analytically, he's been kind of even, you know, and that's kind of attributed to how good he is offensively. But, you know, looking at the eye test, Shabbat has been, has had some really rough games over the course of the first five. You know, are, are Sens fans overreacting when they're a little, when they're talking about being worried that, you know, Shabbat's starting to regress? Or is this just someone who is continuing to learn how to be a defenseman and that we're, you know, putting too much pressure on him because people are comparing him to Carlson still. It's absolutely an overreaction to say that Thomas Shabbat has regressed. He he led the Senators. He was tied with Brady Kachuk last night in high danger chances. He generated six high danger chances. So if your defense, if your best defenseman is generating as many high danger chances as Brady Kachuk, who's your most productive forward offensively, you're okay. There's going to be some struggles in his own end, of course. Um, like I said, this is still a young team. Shabbat's isolated impact defensively was really good last year. Uh, I think the same thing will probably be reflected this year. When you have a guy who's playing this many minutes with this kind of hodgepodge group of not only forwards, but not only defensemen, sorry, but forwards as well. If you look when the Senators are getting scored on, it's usually their second, third, or fourth line that's on the ice. So Thomas Shabbat is getting scored on when he's deployed with the likes of the Tierney, Brown, and Paul line, or with Stepan, or Paquette, and Isimov, whoever. So, yeah, I think there's been some noticeable gaffes defensively, but we also have to keep in mind this is a player that hasn't played competitive hockey in 10 months. You know, everybody's still getting their feet back under them. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I think, again, the second half of the season will probably be Shabbat's best just because of the long absence. But to say that he's regressed is is silly to me. Like, you have a player – yeah, you can make the comparisons to Carlson if you want. Maybe that's unfair, but Carlson was the same way. It took him time to round out his game. There were, if you guys remember, in the early years of Carlson's career, there were people raving about how bad he was defensively. That's not just an outside of Ottawa thing. People in, people in Ottawa didn't really start to jump on the Carlson train until around that 2017 run. So, for, so yeah, I mean, there's going to be growing pains for sure. I think we've been a little spoiled in the sense that players like Brady Kachuk have made the jump so fast that Tim Stutzla seems so ready. And hell, even Carlson, by, by the you know by the end of his tenure in Ottawa, was phenomenal in both ends of the ice. So it's going to come. Uh, I think he's been more impressive than he looks defensively, but offensively he's been dynamite. So it's really hard to complain about too much. That's about the best you can expect from Shabbat right now, as long as he's not making these major errors. Uh, and it's going to come. Like, I wouldn't be stressed about Thomas Shabbat at all. You know, Brandon, last year, Nick Paul had glimpses and maybe even stretches of games where he looked like perhaps a top six player. Like, he looked at times like the best player on the ice. Um, Through the first five games this season, DJ Smith has said himself that Nick Paul's been his most consistent player. 
Um, do you think Nick Paul is the best player on the Ottawa Senators right now? Or are we, again, just looking at a small sample and we need a little bit more to make that determination? I think he's been the best player over the past five games. I, I don't think that's out of the question to say, which says a lot because the top line has played really well. Brady Kachuk's played really well. Josh Norris has played really well. Drake Batherson's played really well. Where Nick Paul has really shown, shown, shown is through his puck control, his ability to maintain possession in all ends of the ice and to use it to find teammates. Uh, where a lot of young forwards – run into mistakes is they get panicky when they get, when they hit pressure. Um, so whereas Paul, when he has the puck and he faces pressure, he's so big and so strong that he's able to hold off defenders and find, uh, and find his teammates when they eventually come to support him. So I think that's been the big thing from Paul. His skating is noticeably improved. I don't know if that's something he worked on in the off season, but I noticed it in the first game, like he's flying out there. Uh, they were making comparisons to Mark Stone on the broadcast last night, and it's like, which you know, relax. <laughs> like he, Nick Paul is a tremendous player, but Mark Stone is arguably the best two-way forward in the league. If Nick Paul gets to that level, I'm thrilled. But it's going to take more than five games to make that determination. I think why he's having this success now is just he's learning to use his skill set. Nick Paul went from a guy who was a skill player in junior. Uh, and then he got to the AHL and the NHL, and he realized that probably wasn't going to be his game. So he had to define it, redefine himself, and he's done that tremendously. He's become a really solid two-way forward. He's become better defensively. He's learned how to use his size. He's good on face-offs whenever he has to take them. So Nick Paul's a well-rounded player. I think this time last year I was saying that Paul was probably a bottom six forward on a good team, on a contending team. He might even be a middle six forward. Like his ceiling might be around that second line type of player. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that Nick Paul has been the best player over the past five games for sure. I mean, he's proven that. Like, with he's scored, he's gotten assists, he's been solid defensively. Can we get him on the penalty kill, please? Because the penalty kill needs help. Like, and if I, for me, I'm putting my best defensive forward on the penalty kill, and that's been Nick Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we saw him a little bit last game. He was on there for, for like, I think, like a minute or so in total ice time on the penalty kill. I want to see Paul get some serious second unit power play time. Yeah, definitely. I think if, I think if he can get that, it'll help the second unit. Even if you know you have Stutzla on it with Stefan, I think him in front of the net would be perfect. Got a, got a question, though. From the Toronto games, like the first two Toronto games, and then the three Winnipeg games, outside of Zaitsev and uh, Paul, who is your probably your your biggest uh, surprise so far in the first five games? Well, Zaitsev. Well, yeah, Zaitsev was a huge surprise, but I, I think I don't know if surprise is the best word, but I was really impressed with how pro ready Tim Stutzla was. Uh, he came into those games and he had all world confidence. Like he was making plays like a four year vet. Uh, making difficult passes, making skill plays to get by defenders and to maintain possession. There was he deeped out William Nylander on one play. It was super impressive. So I think we all knew that Tim Stutzla was gonna be was pro ready based on his performance at the World Juniors and that he was probably gonna make an impact on this Ottawa team right away. But I don't know if I was fully prepared with how skilled and how complete of a player he is. 
Uh, does he have work to do defensively? Sure. Um, p- players rarely come out of the draft and don't have work to do in their own end. That's just how hockey works at, at the NHL level. But I think if I have to, had to pick one guy who really, really stood out to me and blew me away, it was Drake Batherson. Uh, Ian Mendez was saying through training camp what a different player Batherson looked like. He looked stronger. He looked more poised. And Ian nailed it. Like Batherson, to me, uh, inserted asserted himself as – this team's top line right winger. I know we were kind of having some debate through the offseason whether he was going to take that step and maybe maybe it was going to be Connor Brown playing on that top line, but Batherson has or Dadanov even, sorry. But uh but but Batherson has far and away been the team's best right winger uh, in all ends of the ice. He's made he's generated turnovers turnovers in the neutral zone. The way he finds Norris and Kachuk like from the corner in the offensive zone. That line has so much chemistry. They better play the whole year together because they're a treat to watch, and they clearly love playing together. So I think Batherson would probably be the guy that, to answer your question, Shane, that stood out to me the most for sure. And uh, on the contrary, I guess, um, Evgeny Dadnov, he's coming in as the kind of the hottest free agent that uh, Ottawa's had in quite some time here. He had a lot of hype surrounding him coming in. I think we're starting to realize that he's more – of a, a really good complimentary piece. Um, you know, obviously he was playing on a top line in Florida and they're going to generate a lot of chances. I, I think it's just going to take some time for him to fit into Ottawa's system and maybe to find the right line mates um, going forward. What has been your impression? I think he had a standout game last game, but overall, you know, through five games, what's your impression of Dadnoff? I definitely think he had a standout game last night. He led the team in shots on goal. The goal he scored was a beauty. Maybe it was one Hellebuck should have had, but for him to not only have the wherewithal to get that puck to the net while he's sliding on his stomach, but to actually do it, that's an impressive play. And you saw the, the speed with which he flew into the boards. Like he, he damn near hurt himself. So to do it when he was sliding that fast on the ice, that's a nice play. Dadanov, I think, you're right. I think it's going to be a bit of a process to find out who he's best playing with. I don't think he's looked bad in any game, to tell you the truth. Maybe I think he's kind of picking up steam as he goes along. But the question is, I'll, I, let me let me throw one back at you guys right now. Do you think that Dadnov would be having a better season right now if you were playing with Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty easy yes. I, I don't think they've been able to find him consistent enough line mates so far. So Right. And the other thing that's important to keep in mind there is Tim Stutzel has only played two games. So his most consistent line mate right now has been Derek Stepan. And last night he was playing with Artem Isimov and Nick Paul. Are those good hockey players? Yes, but they're not complementary to his game, like you said. So I think as time goes on and you see him play more time with Stutzla, Dadanov's probably going to produce a little more. Because those three, when they're together, Stutzla, Stepan, and Dadanov, for whatever your gripes about Stepan may be, they're a good line when they're playing together. Stepan is really strong on the puck. He's a good possession forward. He's good at finding the open man. Stutzla has all-world skill, and the same can be said of Dadanov. So that's going to be a line that produces some points when they get some consistent time together when healthy. But for now, I think you have to kind of put everything in perspective a bit. Uh, I think Dadanov is going to start picking up steam as the season rolls on. I think now that he's got the first goal off his back, frankly, it might they might start coming in bunches and the floodgates might open a little bit. But – 
Dadnov again, it's not a guy I'm worried about. Is he a good complimentary piece more than a play driving winger? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, but I think you have to put him in positions to succeed, which is why I want him to stay on the top power play unit for now. Uh, just because if you're surrounding him with those guys, Kachuk, Norris, Shabbat, Batherson, eventually those points are going to come. And until Tim Stutzler really starts, I would say, outperforming him, then maybe you make that switch. But for now, I've been happy with Dadanoff's game. Uh, it, it's like it's, it's like I, I keep – I'm a broken record, but it's going to come as the season goes on. Uh, it's still very early. So I like Dadanov. Uh, I think once they get him consistently skilled line mates that he can really start to build chemistry with, you're going to see him start coming through. You know, speaking of broken records, I'm a bit of a broken record when it comes to Twitter, and uh, <laughs> I, I won't hide behind that. But uh, one thing I keep kind of harping on is I want to see a line combination. I want both of your thoughts on this one. I want to see Nick Paul move back to the middle it's a position he hasn't played for quite some time, but I want to see Nick Paul with Evgeny Dadnov and Tim Stutzla when he comes back as the second line. Uh, tell me that I'm crazy. Tell me that I'm wrong. Go ahead, Shane. We could start with you on this one, but uh, what's your thoughts on that line? We've lost, what, four in a row? I am totally – I'm on board of just like – you. It's a, you're playing with house money, right? So the fan base wants to see you at least changing things up. I don't really see how much more of a, a drastic change you can get than putting Nick Paul back at center between Stutzla and Dadanoff. Like, at least you're trying to create offense. Like, you can't really get mad at a coach for trying to do that. I would love to see it personally. That's something different. It changes up the entire dynamic of the the, or, like the team. You can you can slot in Galchenyuk with Tierney and Brown or whatever you want to do. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I would have to agree. I think it's a, I think it's a cool idea. Paul's underrated on the faceoff. The one thing I would worry about is he's played a lot of wing in the NHL and he's played a limited amount of center. So if you're confident that Nick Paul can make that transition seamlessly, then sure, go for it. Why not? But, you know, I think Nick Paul's been really good on the left wing and I would be cautious of saying, hey, kid, you've probably been our second best winger right now. Now we're going to switch you to center. Uh, you know, you don't want to disrupt the the flow that he's having. And maybe you put him with, you know, maybe it's like a Stepan Paul's uh, Dadanov line or, or whatever. Uh, but I don't think it's a bad idea by any means. I, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, he's good on face-offs. He wins face-offs. Uh, I think in terms of puck possession, he might be a good guy to fight in the corners down deep and get it out to guys like Stutzla and Dadanov. Uh, but no, it's like I think Shane made a great point. You've lost four games in a row right now. Do anything. Put me on the first line. See how it works. You know, like we're we're getting to that point now where it's starting to get frustrating. And I think at some point you got to break through with a win, especially when you've had two third period collapses in the last three games, right? So try anything at this point. And I mean to add to that, like you can always have Paul take the faceoffs and then let Stutzla move into the center of the ice where he feels more comfortable and then have wing slot in, like go play on the wing side. So that's not necessarily a bad lineup to, to deploy. No. And I mean, Hey, no one's going to get mad at DJ Smith for trying to shake up the lions and to generate what kind of momentum or whatever. So even if you don't see it at the start of the game, having it halfway through the second period, I'm totally fine for it. Mm -hmm. Especially with the young players, right? Like if you're putting those young guys and those core players in a position to succeed, 
I don't think Sens fans are going to get too upset about that. So I think that's a really good point. I think it would be really interesting to see for sure. Yeah, I just I just think you have you know you have one guaranteed weapon right now. You have the mm-hmm. Norris uh, Batherson and Kachuk line working for you right now. Why not try to add another like a secondary weapon and try to generate a little bit more offense and, and play the hot hand right now in Nick Paul. But uh, I'm glad we don't have a fourth person on here because that person definitely would have been the one on Twitter calling me a friggin' idiot. So, uh, so I'm glad it was you three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, any uh, at this point, I'm totally okay with you know putting White, Galchenyuk, and Schlappik as our second line and just seeing how they do. Mm-hmm. Like just anything to get the juices flowing and get the offense going, and having sustained offensive pressure throughout the game. I'm all for it. Do whatever you have to do. Just play the kids or the vets, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the one good thing you have going for you last night is two of the three goals were from Paul and Dadnov. So that secondary scoring, you're right. Like it's not, it's not an if you, you want secondary scoring, you need secondary scoring, especially in this division because there is so much offensive firepower in this North Division. Uh, so yeah, I think if Nick Paul is producing your secondary scoring, then put him in more positions to do it. Are you going to suffer defensively because of it? Maybe, but maybe it opens the door for a guy like Schlopik to get in games and prove that he can be effective in a third or fourth line role. Uh, maybe it opens the door for Alex Galchenyuk to come in and play on that second line or that third line or whatever. Uh, I think at this point, you've got to just start relying on your young players to come through because they have in every sense of the word. Like like you said, the top line has been carrying them so far. They need, they need more throughout the rest of their lineup now. Calling all Jets fans and foodies. What's going on, guys? I'm Brandon Rewicki, the host of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Look, if you love Jets hockey, this is the place for you. In-depth breakdowns from every game, a deep dive into the big plays and moments from Winnipeg's season, and all the Jets talk you will not find anywhere else. We got it for you on Skates and Plates. Plus, if you love carbs and everything tasty, we jump into the world of food as well. Once a week, we also speak with a member of the local culinary scene to highlight their great stories and the great food they put out. So there it is. Hockey, Jets, food, drink, everything good in life. It's right here on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. And all right, we are back. Thank you all for joining us uh, on today's episode. We are f- with Brandon Mackey of uh, Silver 7 and the host of Internal Budget. And we've recapped in the first half hour kind of the, the positives and negatives of the Winnipeg series and the uh, Toronto series a little bit. Now it's time to look forward to the Vancouver series, another team who has struggled recently, a couple of blowout losses to Montreal, which as a Sense fans you're happy about because it keeps Vancouver in reach. So this series can be a huge impact on the standings. So, you know, I think we can all agree that Vancouver has been probably the biggest disappointment of the season so far in the Canadian division. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Demko got lit up the other day. Toffoli is a godsend for, for fantasy though, has given me, he has made me run away with some of my fantasy leagues, but overall like Vancouver has looked abysmal. Peterson or Pedersen hasn't looked great. Miller has regressed. This is an easily sweepable series for the Sens, if they can come in and play a full 60 minutes. What do you guys expect to see from this team on Monday night, 10 o'clock start? 
what what's your expectations for the series? Is it a full clean sweep, or are you just looking to get half the points out of the six? You know, I, I'll be honest, but I don't expect uh, Vancouver to be taking Ottawa lightly because they can't right now. I think Vancouver is going to come in and they're going to see this as an opportunity as well. So it's important to take their perspective into account. I think Vancouver has a lot to prove. Like you said, they're, you know, some of, even their power play, which was really good, is striking at like 13% right now. It's not looking good for them. Um, and this is a huge opportunity. They, they see the, you know, the seventh seed team coming in, the Ottawa Senators, and the window is now open for them to get some points and to work their way back up the standings. So I'm actually a little bit worried about this. Go ahead, Brandon. Is there such thing as a clean sweep for the Ottawa Senators this season? I don't know if there is, <laughs> to tell you the truth. So, yeah, I mean, people got mad at me in the offseason because I said Vancouver has probably regressed more than any Canadian team just based on what they've lost. Um, I don't think the guys that they parted with were guys that they could afford to part with. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right, I, Shane. I think Vancouver – sorry, Derek. I think Vancouver is going to come in hot. I think they're going to come in a little bit pissed off, and they're going to see this as a chance to beat up on a struggling Ottawa Senators team. Now, is Ottawa going to lose every game of this series? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they've played well enough to win two games against Winnipeg. I really – I think that series should have been 2-1 to one in Ottawa's favor, which is – tremendously impressive when you think about where this Ottawa team was a year ago and how good Winnipeg is. Um, so I think, I think the senators will probably get at least one. Um, I think at some point something's got to give and they've got to get off this skid. Uh, I think they've played well enough to win in a lot of their games, but Vancouver still is a veteran team. There's still a team that was in the playoffs last year they still have that top line. I don't care if Elias Pettersson is not performing. He's going to break out any game now. And when he does, it's going to be electric. And I think the Ottawa Senators are a perfect team for him to break out against if he gets some time on the power play or if he gets some time against the Ottawa Senators' bottom six. I think you're looking at a guy who's going to start, who's going to get off this cold streak that he's on. So, yeah, I think if anything, the Senators will probably win one. Maybe they'll get two. But a clean, a, a clean sweep would, would shock me, frankly. I think Vancouver is still a little bit ahead of Ottawa in that regard. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. I think anything – I mean, getting two wins out of three games is always impressive. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Every, every game is a four-point swing, right? So if you can get, uh, you know, four of the possible, you know, eight points really or the six points, that's always a, a good thing to happen. And I mean, hey, if their regulation wins, that's even better. You don't really want these games going to to extra time as much as possible. No, that's very true. Yeah, Sorry, I, just, yeah no, no worries. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what DJ Smith does next. You know, we looked at the Winnipeg team and you could see that they have some giants on that team. They have some big, tough players. I'm curious to see, looking at the Vancouver team, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, they lost some of their grit. They lost a lot of their depth in the offseason. Um, I wonder now if DJ Smith will go with a little bit more of a skilled approach, um, forming his lineup against this series coming into Vancouver. What do you guys think about that? No, Brandon, go for it. I think you have to. I think, 
I think that's been the one thing that's been missing in the bottom of this lineup is skill. And sure, they haven't been defensively sound, but the Senators are scoring three goals a night just based on their first line, right? Or their first two lines, I should say. So I think there's no shortage of offense. If you can inject even a little more speed into this lineup, maybe it's not skill, maybe it's more speed. I think I think guys who like Anisimov and Paquette, who maybe aren't the strongest in the speed department, have been where Ottawa has been a little bit exposed. Uh, so I think if you inject a Schlopik into this lineup or even a Galchenyuk, you're going to see some positive results. You have to be able to keep pace with Vancouver. Vancouver's got home ice advantage for the most part. I So I think you are going to see a lot of Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and JT Miller and everyone in the top end of that Vancouver lineup against Ottawa's bottom six. And they've struggled against the other team's skilled players right now. When the Senators had home ice, they did well against the Leafs' top lines. You know, you had the Stepan, Stutzla, and uh, and Dadanov line against John Tavares and William Nylander for the most part. And those players were virtually shut down aside from special teams. So I think if you are going to beat the Vancouver Canucks, you have to be able to match their speed. You're not going to match their skill. You're, you're just not. They have some of the best high-end skill in this division. But to that point, you need to be able to suppress their attack a little bit, especially late in games when fatigue starts to set in. And I think an injection of youth and speed would go a long way towards that. Yeah, not taking stupid penalties like, you know, that would delay help. games. <laughs> if we can eliminate the stupid penalties, we'd actually probably be in a lot better position than we are currently. But with that being said, you know, Demko and Holtby have kind of looked below average so far in the, uh, the first couple of games for the, the Canucks. You know, could it be a simple case of just having the better goaltending is really the difference maker for the Sens uh, in this series? It could be, yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Connor Hellebuck is probably the best goaltender that the Senators are going to face all year. And they did pretty well against him. They put up three against him last night. He was phenomenal on Thursday for sure. But I think if you can put up three goals on a Connor Hellebuck, you can put up you know four or five on pretty much any other goaltender in this division. Uh, Matt Murray, like I said, has played well. I think you're going to see a heavy dose of him against the Canucks. So if he can eliminate the soft goals, and like you said, Shane, they have to stay out the penalty kill. The Senators' penalty kill is not good enough to be taking these this many penalties, to be taking three, four, five, even six penalties a game. It's just not. And especially against a team like Vancouver where you're going to be putting Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes and these guys on the power play. It's just not conducive to winning hockey. So they have to stay off the penalty kill, you're right. Uh, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that Matt Murray could steal this series by any means. I really don't. You know, if we're looking ahead to the Vancouver series and we're picking a player that maybe struggled through the first five games, but we really feel confident um, that this player is going to kind of break out, if you will, uh, against the Vancouver Canucks in this series, I'm going with Christian Willanen. I think uh, Willanen wasn't given a, a real good opportunity early. But last night, he looked like the Christian Willanen that we thought he was going to be this season. And outside of Thomas Shabbat, he's easily their best uh, offensive option, especially when it comes to breaking the puck out. Um, I'm looking for Christian Willanen in this series to uh, to really break out and, and start to have that good season that uh, we think he's capable of. Uh, is there a player that you guys think in, in this next series that's really going to break out for the Sens? Brandon, you start. 
right. I think uh, a lot of courtesy from these hosts. I like it. I think uh, I think the guy I'm eyeing is Evgeny Dadnov. I, I think Willanin is a, is a good one, uh, provided he can stay in the lineup, right? Like that's been the biggest thing for Willanin is he has to be given the opportunities to play, and I think he's earned that. I thought he played very well last night, but as far as Dadnov goes. You're starting to see it now. The bounce, the little bounces are starting to go his way. He's starting to handle the puck better. Uh, my dad, when I was playing hockey, and always used to say, you know, sometimes when you need, when you're on a cold streak, the best thing you can have happen is a goal goes in off your ass, you know, because that's it just breaks that skid. You just need a, an ugly one to break that skid, and that's what he got last night. Although I still think it was a nice goal, but any in any case, I think that knob is really starting to find hit his stride. If you even just look at the little nuances of his game, he looks a little more relaxed when he's handling the puck. Um, he's looking a little more confident in terms of the passes he's making up the ice and in the offensive zone. I think getting Tim Stutzla back is really going to help. If he plays Monday, I think that's going to be a huge boost, not only for him, but for this entire Ottawa lineup. Uh, and I think he's going to be the player to watch throughout this series. All right, Shane, you taking puck head or... Who you got? Uh, so the, I actually have two answers to this because it's dependent on the first one right. being in the lineup. And that's that's Stutzla. I think if he's in the lineup for all three games, he has the biggest chance to break out. If it's not, if he's not in the lineup, honestly, I'm taking Drake Batherson. You know, he, he's generated a lot of chances, but I feel like he's going to get on, like he's going to get on a goal streak. I think he's just one of those guys where that first one happens and it's going to open the floodgates. He's going to get some power play time. He's going to probably, I think he can end up, with two points a game versus the Canucks. And that's kind of what I'm expecting to see for him. I think he's going to generate those chances for Kachuk and Norris, five on five, and that power play time. So, yeah, I think if Stussel's in the lineup, it's going to be him. But if he's not, Batherson's a guy the Canucks really need to look for because he is going to be hitting Pedersen or Besser or Hughes anytime they touch the puck. And he can wear somebody down. He may not look big, but he can lay the body relatively good compared to anyone else on the team. It's funny you say that, actually. When I wrote the recap for Silver 7 last night, I, I said Drake Batheson is producing a lot of offense. Like He doesn't have the goals to quite back it up yet, but the chances are there, and it's coming, and he's going to start scoring in bunches very soon. So I think that's a great point. I would really keep my eye on Batherson this series. The way he's played so far has been tremendous. All right, when we did the uh, preseason uh, previews, uh, Shane and I had the pleasure of joining uh, some other podcasts. And uh, one of them that we joined was uh, the host of the Vancouver podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. And they asked us, who's better, Quinn Hughes or Thomas Shabbat? I think it's a it's a really good debate. They're two very similar players. Um, so we're going to get to see them go head-to-head here for the next little bit. Um, Brandon, who do you have in that debate? Are you are you leaning in a biased way to Thomas Shabbat? I think right now I'm saying Quinn Hughes, just because whereas Shabbat may even be a little better defensively, I think Hughes's high end skill is just something that's that's right now. Frankly, it's blowing Shabbat out of the water. Um, Shabbat's going to get there. He really is. I think if Shabbat was on the Vancouver Canucks, he'd be putting up Quinn Hughes numbers. I, I do believe that. Uh, but right now, you kind of have to go based on what you've seen so far. Um, and where Shabbat generates the offense, Hughes is a good finisher. Um, you know, it was him and Kale McCarr last year in terms of the Calder Trophy. So I think if we're going overall defenseman, right now, I probably would lean towards Shabbat having a more complete game. 
in the sense that he's a little bit better with the puck, a little more responsible and better in his defensive zone. But I think if we're going for the better, more impactful player right now, it just has to be Quinn Hughes based on pure production. But again, Shabbat's going to get to that level. It's just a question of how quickly the Ottawa Senators can grow with him. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair answer. I picked Shabbat because, again, I use the same kind of reasoning that if you put Shabbat in Vancouver, you know, the numbers are going to be there for Shabbat. You put Hughes in Ottawa, you're probably not even – most people probably wouldn't even consider Hughes – as an elite defense, like offensive player right now, because of how the two teams are structured, it's going to be an interesting battle. It's going to be the top, like it's going to be most likely it's going to be Stutzler versus Pedersen or Kachuk versus Pedersen and Hughes versus Shabbat the entire three games. And honestly, anytime we play Vancouver, those are the matchups that we're going to talk about the most. And it's going to be interesting to see who has the, the most points at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how much uh, animosity there is by the series end because that's becoming a recurring theme in these Canadian matchups. And you don't think of Vancouver as like a physical, you know, hard fighting team, although they've got players like, you know, Tyler Myers and, and whatnot. But I'm interested to see how pissed off these teams get with each other by the end of it. That's been one thing that's been fun to watch about this division. One thing we're focused on this year um, from a Sens fan perspective is the young players. And uh, speaking of the young players, Josh Norris currently sitting one point behind Krill Kaprizov of Minnesota for the uh, rookie scoring race. Uh, keep in mind, Kaprizov is also 23, coming off of a few professional seasons in the KHL. Um, so he's going to be given every opportunity and I think probably has a huge advantage when it comes to the Calder Trophy race. Um, but what do you make of Josh Norris being right there with Kaprizov early on in the season? No, Shane, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there was someone who after the first two games of the season tweeted that Josh Norris wasn't ready and that he belongs in Belleville. Do you remember who that was? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, in defense, the points that he made were accurate points after the first two games. Yeah. So I'm not like, – <laughs> I will I will say that like the the fact that he didn't look he was getting out muscled on the draws he didn't look quite comfortable in, like in the offensive zone valid points and I mean I did agree with those or like there was a chance that hey once Belleville starts up there could have been a possibility that he could have played himself out of it for sure he's kind of changed the opinion like the narrative on it through the Winnipeg game so I, I'll give Derek a little bit of leeway on it because he did make some valid points in his defense of that statement no no i'm just jamming you derek I, no i think norris has been really impressive i think uh i think a lot of it comes down to chemistry to tell you the truth uh when you put young players with other young players that they're familiar with in a position to succeed you're going to get good results norris saw a lot of time with drake batherson last year in belleville um, brady kachuk elevates any player that you put on his line he's just that kind of player uh, so for Norris, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it took him a couple games to kind of get his feet wet in the NHL. People underestimate the pace and the difference it is between, you know, junior and Belleville and, and whatever, like it is so fast. So I think it took Norris a little bit to adjust, but once he did, you saw the results, you saw the way he moved the puck with his line mates in the offensive zone. 
even his goal that he scored in the first game against Winnipeg, was it the prettiest goal? No. But the play leading up to it was really impressive. And it started with him moving the puck to Shabbat, to Batherson, back to Shabbat, down low to Norris. Uh, that puck movement from their young players has been tremendous. And Norris has been a huge part of that. They're such good passers in the offensive zone. They're so good at finding each other from the corners in front of the net. They got to just start finishing on them. I mean, there's been a couple that have bounced over their sticks or they've you know, had the goaltender make huge saves. So I think Norris is really, really good. I've really enjoyed watching him, and I think he's in Ottawa to stay for the long term. I, I really do. I don't see any reason to put him back in Belleville. If he played this well in Belleville last year, which he did, he was the most outstanding player in Belleville last year. And now you have him where he's up there and with the top point scorers in Ottawa. He's playing top-line minutes and looking good doing it, producing offense. I don't know how much more you have to gain by putting the player back in, in the American Hockey League. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'll defend my uh, my stance a little bit because I do still, you know, kind of stand by what I said in that I think he could use some work when it comes to strength. I think he's really improved when it comes to winning draws, though. I will say that. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I did notice even last night a couple of defensive zone faceoff wins for Norris. Um, his speed and his pace that he plays with are phenomenal. Like it's NHL level. It's NHL ready. No question he's developed chemistry with Drake Batherson. He's best friends with Brady Kachuk, and uh, they go way back. So they have really good chemistry there. I think he's well insulated, and, it, and if they keep him in that spot, he's, he's absolutely fine to ride out the season in the NHL and to play in that spot. I just worry about the long-term impacts if there's going to be any versus if you send him down to the American League, he's absolutely dominant for another year down there, and he really builds on those strengths and becomes a player that's not kind of riding passenger, but driving the offense and driving the line. I I feel like you could maybe maximize what you're going to get out of Josh Norris. And I could be completely wrong on this. And most people disagree with me on this. Uh, And it has two parts to it. The the other part is I really wanted to see Logan Brown. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see Logan Brown. I feel like hasn't really been given a real opportunity I know he has pace issues. He has, you know, foot speed issues. And maybe they've seen the same thing in training camp. Um, But I feel like his vision, his playmaking ability, uh, what he can bring you on the power play is really something that the Ottawa Senators can use. And there's really nothing more that Logan Brown could do in the American Hockey League in my mind. So uh, maybe, you know, if all goes really well, maybe you have them both up. And, and that goes back to, you know, the Senators maybe adding a little bit too much veteran depth in the offseason. Um, because personally, I would like to see them both here and, and both get an opportunity. But um, I was a little bit sour, I guess, if you will, from Logan Brown not getting that first crack at it, because I really did think that they would give him the chance. Yeah, to, to that point, though, if my stance on it is this. I love Logan Brown as a player. I think he I think he's phenomenal. But if Logan Brown can't outplay Josh Norris in camp, who's younger than him, you got problems, right? And the same can be said if he can't outplay an Artem Isimov, if he can't outplay, you know, Chris Tierney, whoever. Uh, I think you're right. I think Logan Brown does need to be given an opportunity in the Ottawa top six at some point. I just don't think it should come at the expense of Josh Norris when he's playing so well. I think you have a player who's building confidence at the NHL level and you need to nurture that. Uh, Brown, I think, like they said in camp, um, I think Pierre Dorian, the quote he used was, if we, if the entire game was the power play, Logan Brown would have been on our roster. 
that's how good he was. And DJ Smith said it's probably a fair assumption that Brown would have been in Ottawa had training camp been longer and had there been a preseason and had they gotten an extended look at him. So I think Logan's Brown, Logan Brown's time is going to come if he if he still wants to be a part of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, but again, I don't think that should come at the expense of Josh Norris, who has been played so well. I think at some point when players are having success at the NHL level, you need to let them continue to have success. Here's the thing. Could we see, you know, obviously there's talk of trading, you know, Paquette, all these one-year contracts at the deadline to, to cup contenders. And I mean, I don't know how much value some of these guys have, like Paquette and Anisimov, but with, you know, Belleville starting their season later than uh, everyone else, could we see Brown up here playing in the second line, move, you know, Stefan down with Tierney, somehow get White on the wing later in the year, possible. But he could also be in a package for something bigger than what I know. I think Darren Drager mentioned it during the Toronto game or the first Winnipeg game where Pierre Dorian is still taking phones. And who knows what that leads to, but maybe it's getting rid of one of these veteran guys and it opens up the door for him and White to get into the lineup consistently. Yeah, I, I think so. I think my thing right now is I think if Artem Nisimov had any value right now at this moment, he already would have been traded. That's just how I feel. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in that assessment, but I feel like the I feel like the plan was not to go into the season with Artem Nisimov on the roster. I, I have nothing to back that up. That's just that's just my two cents. I think I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of roster turnover at the end of this season. And I think you are going to see guys like Brown get looks, maybe even guys like Formington too. Um, again, Logan Brown, from what we've heard, just needs to round out his game a little more, which is something that Josh Norris did really well last year. He was really good in both ends of the ice. Maybe that comes down to skating. Maybe it just comes down to commitment to defensive play. I don't know. Um, I think, again, if Logan Brown wants to be an Ottawa Senator, he will be an Ottawa Senator. But even saying that, I, if he does want to trade, I don't know how high his value is. Because as of now, he's a phenomenal player in the in the American Hockey League, but he's growing a reputation of a guy who can't he can't transition to the NHL level. So I think I don't think Logan Brown's days in Ottawa are numbered. But I think with just the way the relationship has kind of gone sour over the past couple of years, the clock's ticking. All right, and uh, I, I recognize that we don't have a lot of time left. Um, one thing we do have to get into, speaking of trades and just shifting gears a little bit from the Ottawa Senators to some major NHL news, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a hockey show if we didn't touch on this trade. So uh, what do you guys make of the Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic trade? Um, who won that deal? I think it's a good deal for both sides, to tell you the truth. I think you have a situation where um, Dubois had worn out his welcome in Columbus and where Patrick Laine was no longer a fit in Winnipeg. Uh, so I think for two teams that had to trade their star players, I think they both made out pretty well. If you're Winnipeg, you get a bona fide number one center who not only will replace some of Laine's offense, but can also be a little more impactful in the sense that he is a center and, and not a winger. Um, so in that sense, I think Winnipeg did really well. But even saying that, Columbus, you've now acquired two elite players in Patrick Liney and Jack Roslovic. I think Roslovic has a really high ceiling. I think he's probably going to top out as 
if not a top line right winger on a contending team, then he'll be a second line guy. Like he's just, he's so quick. He's so good in all ends of the ice and all facets of the game. He's a really impressive player to watch. So I think they both made out pretty well based on the circumstances, especially Um, maybe that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I don't see a clear winner to this trade. Maybe if you buy into the argument about the value of centers over wingers, maybe you pick Winnipeg because they got a number one center out of it, but both guys are on short-term contracts. Both guys are elite players. If they can both maintain the relationships with these players that they've now acquired, I see it as a win for both sides. Yeah, I, I agree with with Brandon here. I think overall the, the value of the trade was good. You look at, you know, one for one, Line A, Dubois, no one talks about it. I think the Roslovic and the third pick is what really kind of threw people off because how much value are you putting into Roslovic? Personally, I don't see with the situation, he's not much worth a second or a first. You probably were going to get topped off as a third, like a third round pick, anyways, if you were to do a separate deal. So I think the value of the trade is fair for both teams. I think Columbus, especially if they can sign Line A to a long term deal, uh, win this trade in the long run. If Line A can, can produce as like a top five sniper in the league and Roslovic turns into a solid top six piece for that team to help them with depth scoring and whatnot. But right now it's a win for both teams. It's going to be interesting to see not just this year, but the end of next summer, both are RFAs who knows what happens with Dubron next summer line a this year, but right now it's a win for both teams. And I'm, I can't wait to see both of them in their new, their new uh, colors. Yeah. We knew that, uh, you know, Ottawa was a, a potential player, I guess, when it comes to Pierre-Luc Dubois. But uh, when we get to see the, you know, what he actually went for, um, there's no sour grapes here whatsoever. Ottawa would not be able to match or come even close to uh, to what they paid to get him. So, uh, so really, we have nothing to complain about when it comes to that. But once again, there's another top-notch center in our division. So. Uh, from that perspective, it's uh, it's a little bit tough to swallow, but uh, but again, this is a developmental year once again for the Ottawa Senators, and uh, very early on in this season, we're starting to look less at wins and losses, and starting to look more for signs of development. So uh, a little dose of reality, I guess, if you will, guys. We're one three and one through the uh, through the season so far. So here we are again basically not really cheering for wins, but uh, cheering for, you know, the development of our key players. Yeah, it's going to come. Like I said, I think the Senators have, like, 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 realistically, do you think they should be 1-3-1 and one right now? I don't. I think they should have won those two games against Winnipeg, right? So there, right? That's that's a three-win team to the first five games. You're 3-1-1. One and one. So... I think it's coming for this team. I think they just need to find a way to finish off these games in the third period because maybe they will be few and far between. Maybe games where the Ottawa Senators are leading in the third period will be few and far between this year. But when they do, you need to capitalize on it. Um, Again, is another high draft pick the worst thing in the world for this team? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But at some point, you got to start building confidence. You got to start capping off these games because, based on what I've seen from the rest of the, the rest of this Canadian division, the Ottawa Senators are capable of making the playoffs. Like they could do it. So, and I know they want to do it. They've been vocal in that. So, I think they do need to start finding a way to win these games. But this season is not a write-off yet by by any stretch. The Senators are a good team, especially in this division. 
they're going to be all right. It's just a question of putting the pieces together, putting full 60-minute efforts together. And once they do that, you're going to start seeing some success from this team. Yeah, I mean, our next six games or so are against Vancouver and Edmonton, who have both struggled. So if we can win those two series, I think they're, it's a three-game and then a two-game, you know, that, that we're in perfect shape. No matter the outcome of Edmonton's game over the next three days or five days, if we can win those series and get the most points, you know, we're ahead of those guys fat, battling with Calgary, Winnipeg, and Toronto at Montreal for those four spots. I mean, I think Montreal has maybe has changed the narrative of the, the Canadian division because the way they've played, I don't really see much teams being able to, to stop them right now. It's Toronto, Montreal, and everybody else for me. I really think so. The fact that Toronto was able to win the other night without Matthews and Thornton, like Toronto's a good team too. It's, it's going to be Toronto and Montreal at the top, I think. Yeah, I was wrong about that too. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'll admit that one off the top. I did not buy into the Montreal hype. And early on, their speed is uh, it's unmatched in this division. It's uh, it, They're really, really good. I watched them play every game so far. And they're proving me wrong. And they, has, they still have Carey Price in that. So uh, that's going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah, I think, I, like I said, through the offseason, they got so much better. I thought they added probably more than anyone else in the division. I liked what Toronto did. I liked what Toronto added. But I think the Habs, in what they added in terms of depth, uh, both on the blue line and up front, it's really hard to find any gripes with their offseason. I think they're going to make some noise the rest of this year. Oh, 100%. I mean, oh, and uh, Shane was like mid conversation and we lost him. What he was going to say is that Derek was right the whole time and Montreal is actually going to go through a huge downslide right now, uh, starting with the next game. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And we're going to look back at our standings that we did prior to the season. And we'll see that I was right. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be right there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think Montreal is here to stay. And I mean... I was banking. I was worried that Suzuki and, and Kakinami would take a downfall, like they would regress a little bit. They've done nothing but, you know, prove that they're hey, they're they're legit top six players, and it's helped them kind of move into this first. They're first in the league right now, and I mean it is a small sample size, but if you're a Habs fan, you have to be happy about what you've seen from this team. Say what they threw up seven against uh, the Canucks the other day with like two shorthanded goals and. They scored like four goals in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. There's not not many teams are going to be able to match their depth in this division. That's just, just what it comes down to. Yeah. And their goaltending is in top notch. But that being said, you know, thank you, Brandon, for joining us. Uh, you know, if you guys haven't had a chance, check him out. Silver Sevens and his podcast, The Internal Budget. Uh, some great stuff coming from you. Anything in the works outside of the game recaps? Well, no, thank you guys for having me. Uh, we have a couple of new pieces coming out every week. Uh, one thing that we've really been able to do in since we've expanded our staff, you know, since Trevor Shackles, who's a phenomenal writer, rejoined us, uh, we've been able to get more of our opinion pieces out there and little more cool one-off analysis pieces. So look out for a couple of those coming out in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, I've got a few that I'm working on that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, and yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. You know, I've got to be honest, one of the best followers on or follows on Twitter, Brandon Mackey, um, always fo always following his stuff. So uh, also follow him on Twitter. I believe it's at Brandon Mackey underscore on Twitter. So uh, you could check out his stuff there as well. 
great follow. Thank you so much. It's finally uh, nice to be able to chat with you in person. Yeah, likewise. I know we've been trying to make this work for a while. I appreciate you guys having me on on this fine Sunday morning. Now I got to go be stressed about football for the rest of the day. Yeah, okay, quick question before you go, because I know you're a Bucks fan. Yes. What do you, realistically, what do you think the outcome of that Bucks Packers game is going to be? Oh, Bucks are going to win. <laughs> Taking this ride all the way back to Tampa, maybe. <laughs> I'm going Packers, Packers and Bills. Now, see, now if you told me that, I wouldn't have done this show. So it's good that you said it at the end instead of the beginning. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. Seeing, I, I would love to see a Bills Bucks Super Bowl just, just to see Brady have to play the Bills and crush the Bills one last time. Yeah, if, I would love to see Bills fans. I love the Bills. I've got love for Bills fans, but that would be hilarious if they finally get to a Super Bowl and they run into Tom Brady again. Would, would be exactly what the NFL would want. But again, Brandon, thank you for joining and thank you everyone for, for following us on this Sunday morning. Go enjoy the football game and uh, hopefully we can have you on in the sometime during the middle of the season to kind of recap the craziness of what this year will be. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Take care. Uh, there you have it, guys. Uh, Brandon Mackey, Silver Sevens, and uh, host of Eternal Budget Podcast. Fantastic podcast. I've had a, I've listened to a couple of his episodes. Some great interviews. He's uh, he's also on, um, if you're in the Ottawa area or get the Ottawa channels, uh, I believe he's also doing something with uh, Cornicky and Mel on Rebel Radio, which is pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, that was a great episode, obviously, you know. We got three days. We got two games before our next episode. We have a special guest on our Wednesday episode. You can join us here, 3 o'clock, YouTube, Twitter, and whatnot. And obviously, you can find us on Thursday and Mondays. Anything to add before we run off, uh, Derek? Uh, I guess you guys are getting ready for some football this afternoon. I have no idea. I don't keep up with football. But uh, maybe I'll watch a little myself and cheer against whatever teams uh, you guys were cheering for just just to be that guy. Yeah, I have some extra cleaning. I mean, I cleaned up a little bit, but I got some cleaning to do and and organizing and whatnot. So probably won't be watching much football, but I'll be keeping an eye on it. But with that being said, guys, thank you all for joining us. Remember, customizesports.com, 10% off your order. Uh, Anything in the links and descriptions, uh, NHL Shop, Lids, Fanatics, Hockey Canner, Rep Your Gear, help support us. But remember, sends sends underscore our Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, follow us, uh, Shane underscore Ryan97. D Lee 75 he's part of Sunshot and uh, New Era Sense. So definitely check out Derek's writing there. And thank you all for joining us. We will catch you back here with a brand new episode Wednesday at three o'clock, and we will have a very special guest. Stay tuned to our YouTube, our uh, Twitter, and Instagram channel to make sure you know who it is. Have a good one, guys. Stay safe. <laughs>